0: for for Matthew, and last night uh, they didn't make it, so I had this kind of on the way, and so I just finished it up. We're on letter M uh, in our alphabet series, and I'm going to talk to you about manners today. What does that sound like, talking about manners? Uh, I hope I'm preaching to the choir, (laughs) and I think I am for the most part. Actually, the the uh, the idea and the subject of manners is something that's kind of interested me for a long time. And in my reading and the kind of reading I do, you come across this in a lot of different ways as a real responsibility of Christian people that we kind of forget and, and what it means to have manners. Now, you and I grew up with names like Emily Post, you know, and things like that. She died in 1960, but I remember when I went off to college, they actually handed us a book by Emily Post. I forget what it was titled, but Etiquette on Etiquette or something like that. My, yeah. Well, then then there is a lady that goes by the title of Miss Manners. She still is alive and writes a uh, uh, writes a column. Although, I wrote down, let's see, she was born in 38, so she's still around. Her real name is Judith Martin, but she still has columns and papers about, you know, dear Miss Manners, you know, and then she writes back uh, what she thinks about the situation. So uh, our generation, anyway, uh, has grown up with certain mores that we have kept, and we often notice that... The general public around us isn't keeping those anymore. Uh, maybe they develop their own uh, manners and culture in a certain way, but usually they're not better as time goes by. We, we're more apt to let things slip than we are to, you know, get better at it. Uh, we look back at an age called the Victorian age with disdain now, you know, but it actually it was a it was an era of manners and deportment and things that you should do uh and things you shouldn't do uh so nowadays you know uh i doubt if if many of us if uh we came to church this morning with a hat on would leave it on too long after we came in the building we might from the door down to the coat rack you know but we surely wouldn't sit in church with a ball hat on, right? But you might see young people today, and it, it, and it's not that they're being misbehaving or purposely antagonistic. They just don't know. Don't, that's just something that's gone by them. The please and the thank you, the opening the door for uh, a lady, letting somebody go through first. Uh, I remember, uh, it's been a little while ago now, walking in, I a restaurant, I forget where it was, but uh, there was an, uh, an older couple just ahead of me and a, a young boy ahead of them, and uh, the, I thought that the young fellow was going to open the door, and here comes this older couple behind. No, he opened the door, went in, and just let it, and, and she almost fell backwards because the door came right in front of her, you know. Just doesn't, I don't think he's trying to be impolite, he just, it doesn't occur to people. So maybe part of the problem there has been our generation if we have failed to pass on uh these kinds of things and i'm sure that that every generation also has certain manners and and even we have church manners you know that we things we do and don't do in church and sometimes those are unnecessary so we we might Uh, have unnecessary manners, but usually it's better to err (laughs) toward that way than the other way, you know. But also the the reason the area of manners has always been interesting to me is because we can talk in a broader sense about a country like America or any other country. You know, if you go to England today, you think you're going to find a Victorian culture? No way. I remember I, I spent a month with missionaries in uh, Taiwan, which is, you know, nationalist China. And I thought I would see, you know, very polite people bowing and this and that. No way. It, it was as much chaos there as anywhere else. As a matter of fact, uh, I, think, I think I have, I bet you I have eaten in more McDonald's in more countries of the world than you have. And, and I'd be willing to count those with you sometime. But, but uh, you know, it's amazing how, how many American fast food places there are all over the world. You, it, literally, you can go almost anywhere in the world and eat American fast food. So in, in Taiwan, where I thought people were so polite and proper and prim, even McDonald's had to put up what the missionary called cattle guards lanes up to the cash register otherwise nobody stood in line at all and, and if you weren't pushy you never got to the front he said in, in those kind of places where where uh it's just an open counter no matter what kind of a counter it is uh you think you're moving toward the front no people are moving ahead of you and so so anyway just saying that manners self-government is something that falls by the wayside so in a country like ours we might see often things that we have taken for granted go by the wayside and what is happening is now do we need more laws of the land then to control us because we can't control ourselves or if we don't have those laws do we fall into chaos which both kinds of things are true And the same kind of parallels many times can be drawn for our churches so that our churches either get to a place where they need to be more legalistic because no one's paying attention to the personal laws that they ought or they become chaotic too and it it seems like there's no difference between the church and the world. So this whole area, not only for yourself and your, your personal life or your family, for our church, for our country, uh, and for the whole world. So, um, the fact is we could start off talking about manners by saying we ain't got much. (laughs) We, uh, uh, we in many ways have forgotten our manners. My mother, my mother was an English teacher. I, I don't admit that very often, so keep it in this room. But, uh, she uh she had, her favorite bumper sticker was one that just said it don't matter. <laughs> that was her favorite bumper sticker. It don't matter. Oh, that, there was another one that said uh beam me up Scotty. There's no intelligent life left down here. <laughs> so So I hope you had a mother or father that drilled things into you, you know at the dinner table, as you came in the house, uh, whatever. We need to do that with our kids, uh, obviously. Um, I'm going to read you something that I've kept for a long time. Uh, A man named John Silber was the president of Boston University, and he gave a speech a few years ago, and I kept part of it, uh, part of his address. And he's quoting a man called Lord Moulton, who was an English judge back at the turn of the century, turn of the uh, 1800s, 1900s. And Lord Moulton has a famous essay that he wrote called uh, Law and Manners. And in this, he is describing basically what's happening to his own country of England as the Victorian age is passing away. And then what will happen to any country or or any people that begins to forget how to govern ourselves, do we need laws to govern us because we can't do it ourselves? And the choices then become very narrow. So let me just read a little bit. He said, Lord Moulton considered the area of action lying between law and and pure personal preference to be the domain of obedience to the unenforceable. You love this, I know. So hold on. This domain between law and free choice he called manners. While it may include moral duty, social responsibility, and proper behavior, it extends beyond them to cover, quote, all cases of doing right where there is no one to make you do it but yourself, unquote. All of us can recognize at once the middle land of manners, as Moulton called it, is threatened by two tendencies. On the one hand, there are those who wish to extend the realm of law to relegate everything. The Congress and the agencies that have mushroomed from its legislation exhibit this tendency in an alarming degree. We see that in our country today. On the other hand, there is the tendency to claim that anything not ruled by law is a matter of personal choice. This tendency can be seen in the relativism and unbridled hedonism voiced in our schools, universities, newspapers, movies, and on television. Both the domains of law and free choice threaten to encroach upon the middle domain of manners. Moulton's central point, one of capital importance, is that, quote, the real greatness of a nation, its true civilization, is measured by the extent of this land of obedience to the unenforceable. It measures the extent to which the nation trusts its citizens, and its, uh, its area testifies to the way they behave in response to that trust. Then Silber says at the end, In America today, the domains of choice and of law have eroded the domain of manners. Now, I don't know if you followed all of that, but basically he is saying that you have, human beings have to have some control, right? We, we call it being sinners. And, if you, and you can't have a country with absolutely no laws. You can't just put a bunch of people on a, plate, on a land and say, do the best you can because they'll kill each other and they'll steal from each other and they'll hurt each, you know, and nothing will happen. In traveling in foreign countries, the worst thing to me about traveling is is the lack of traffic laws. <laughs> for those of you who have been in, 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 in uh, foreign lands, it's terrible. I, I mean, I've often said to you, we need to pray for our missionaries driving in foreign lands because it is dangerous. And there are, there's, Stop signs and even lights. Nobody pays the attention to them. And so you get into a big city, and people go through them, or they, if there's an open space, they go. And so you come to a big intersection. You can sit there for 20 minutes trying to get through it. Because, so what, what would a country do that had no laws? You know. Uh, so we need some laws to control us, but the point is, <clears throat> How much law do we need? Do we need almost none? And if we have no laws, then we turn into a country where everybody does that, which is right in their own eyes, morally, legally, and every other way. And yet, if that gets bad, then the government begins to step in and the government begins to make a law about this and a law about this and a law about this, and pretty soon you can't walk out of your house without checking to see if it's lawful or not. Which is where America is headed, because we've gone through this hedonistic time, where we're just going to do whatever we want. Uh, you know, watching the uh, marijuana laws, for example, in America, and the homosexual marriage laws in a, in America are good examples of this. People can't control themselves, and with absolutely no controls, where are we going? And yet. Will the government step in? Uh, do, do we want the government to tell us exactly everything we can even eat? And we're getting to that point, aren't we? You know, you can't, we're going to have to be label checkers, and, you know, if it isn't government approved, we can't eat it. But they're not going to regulate marriage and marijuana, I guess, you know, but other things. So that's the area. now. Now, do you want as a Christian in your life, Do you want the church to have to tell you how to live your whole life? Or, you know, interpret the scripture for you in every little decision? And yet, without some direction, do we just turn into hedonists ourselves and do whatever we want to do and and then have no direction? Where's the balance in that, is what we're talking about. So... I, I'm thinking in three different areas in, in this lesson. One is way on this side, which would be we need some laws in our life. As a matter of fact, we have laws in our life, and it's called God's Word, and it's called God, God's absolutes, and there are some things that we do not transgress. On the other hand, we have Christian liberty and Christian freedom. As believers who possess the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, there are a lot of decisions you have to make on your own, and nobody's going to make you make them or not make them. Nobody can step in and put you in jail if you don't. And then, thirdly, uh, you know, if, if we have freedom and people are going too far off to the left, how do we stay in the middle? How do we have an area that we call self-government, manners, Christian liberty, where we can live uh, and govern ourselves, and we don't need laws on the one hand, and we won't go off the deep end on the other hand. Okay, so first of all, just think about for a minute the fact that uh, this area of personal morality and obedience, it's a good thing God has given us his word, isn't it? I mean, God has given his word, and when you think about it, it's very absolute. I mean, once we understand it and know what this book says, and most of it we can understand pretty well. We, we don't need a whole lot of interpretation. We can understand lying and murdering and idolatry and stuff like that. Maybe in the little nuances we need to study hard, sure. But, but we know this book is God's law and God's word. But you know, look at it. It's not that big a book. I'm trying to get you to just take home a schedule and with a few easy minutes every day, you can read this whole book this year, no problem. And if you want to read it faster than that, you could read it. You, you'll read a lot of other books this year that are bigger than this. So it's not a whole lot to it, but God's Word kind of, if, if you could describe it, puts a circle around us. And this circle is like a fence, it's like a boundary. And what it says is, don't cross this fence. Don't go off into this area. So that fence may have, you know, put the Ten Commandments on that fence. So that, that fence has, uh, you don't blaspheme God. You don't worship other gods, right? Never. Uh, lying is on that fence. So lying is always wrong. You just don't do it. Uh, adultery, uh, idolatry, uh, you know, and, and all the things that the Word of God teaches. Now, it gives you that fence, but within the fence, there's a lot of Christian liberty. For, for example, uh, you know, the, the Bible teaches our young people to marry believers when a Christian is, is at that marrying age, that Christian should marry another believer, right? And the Bible makes it pretty plain. You don't marry outside the, the Christian faith. But once, if you're going to keep that, that rule, that law on the fence, you've still got a lot of latitude uh, in between. Uh, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Well, there's a lot out there to find, <laughs> and, and, uh, and there's a lot of choices. And we make those choices, and then uh, we live with those choices, too, because then once we make that choice, God says live with it. So we do, and, and, uh, and yet even at that, people have come up with the craziest Rules about how to find the per the one and only person that you're going to marry, and if you don't find that one and only person, you're out of God's will. No, there's a lot of freedom in that, and uh, that's why I'm kind of glad I grew up in a society where mom and dad didn't choose for me, because uh, they might have chosen something that I didn't want, you know, didn't like, so. Some societies still do that. Theirs might have been wiser. I don't think so in my case, but I mean, you know, sometimes parents are wiser, but still, you understand what I'm talking about. So we have that, we, we have that circle. Now, in, in, uh, in society, it's kind of the same way. So God is even, when he designed human government in Genesis 9, when Noah came off the ark and God says, now... Uh, collectively, you as human beings are going to govern yourselves. I'm not going to step in any longer, and every time there's a murderer, I'm going to go after him, put a mark on him, and punish him. No, you're going to do it. It's going to be called government. By man shall his blood be shed. And so God established human governments, and even the New Testament reminds us you're going to live under a country, even as Christians, wherever you go in this world, and th- those countries are going to have laws. Obey the laws, pay the taxes, honor the king. Uh, some countries are going to be better than others, and some you're going to have more freedom than others. But you're a believer, you live within those laws as much as you can uh, until you're forced to disobey God, then obey God. Okay? So Christians have, have had some good places and some bad places. And you and I have been blessed, I think, above all people in the church age to, to live in this country. But God didn't, didn't promise us in America, you understand. We've had brothers and sisters in our lifetime that have lived under communism, Soviet Union or China, uh, even uh, you know, National Socialism, Nazism, uh, for some of you older people. I mean, people have lived in some pretty terrible places, and and still do today. Christians that live in, in in some Muslim lands under Sharia law, I mean, you know, are either have to die or convert. So we have it we have it easy, and and we understand that. So, but but government has to step in somewhere and say, here's the circle. Here's the law. And so the Constitution of the United States or, or, or whatever country isn't such a big document. It isn't so long. It draws a pretty broad circle and asks you to live in that. Now, if we start throwing that out, we're going to have chaos. But if we ask it to be narrower and narrower and narrower, the government starts stepping into all kinds of our lives to where, you know, you can hardly move without government permission. Uh, We don't want no circle, and we don't want that tiny circle either. We want a mid-circle. And by the way, you and I as believers have, have loved that more than any other. Christians always love it, When that middle land of manners is very big, where the government kind of stays away from us, we can make our own choices and live by them. You know why? Because you and I, as believers, have a motivation that non believers don't have. We're not going to be immoral citizens. And even if there's no law to control immorality you it doesn't bother us because we're not going to be that way we're not going to lie we're not going to cheat our neighbor but if there are no laws and you know real estate laws uh tax laws uh y- you know banking laws then what imagine what people would do to each other but christians could do it on a handshake christians could do it just by their word so we've always liked it when the middle land of manners is very broad Uh, So, you know, when when America was founded, it's called it was called an experiment, you know, because we had fewer of those laws than anywhere. We're a land of liberty. And so we came here as Christian people saying, keep the government out of our lives, keep the government out of our churches. And we'll do just fine. And we've had this thing called separation of church and state. Seen in a right way is a great thing. And Baptists have always been champions of it. We don't need the government telling us how to run the churches. We don't need taxes supporting our ministers. We We can do all of this ourselves. We don't need a prayer book that we have to follow handed down by the government and the state church as they had back in England. So we've liked it. And America worked well, but America has a, an Achilles heel. I'm, I'm jumping all over my page here. I'm going to try to get back to my outline. America has a, an Achilles heel, and that is our freedom. Because if we're, if we're founded as, as a Christian nation, then we want a government that leaves us alone, that gives us much liberty. Because we have self-government, and we will control ourselves, and we will not be pagans. But as the Christian faith disappears from people, and now you have this huge amount of liberty, guess what pagan people do that don't know Christ? They begin to live in ways that harm one another, that are very immoral, that are very harmful to the next generation, and so forth, and that's what has happened. Because we thought all people could live by a Christian ethic, and they can't. So we may brag about being a Christian country, and in many ways, our our Constitution and our founding documents and so forth were kind of thought of as what Christian people would do with it. What happens when you have those, but the Christian people are gone? You don't have any inner self-government anymore. You don't have any, anything controlling you anymore, and people take advantage of it. And so now we have all kinds of immorality. Think of, think of Hollywood alone. You know, of course, we've only known motion pictures, I guess, in the 20th century and so forth. But even those started out being made by people with some kind of a Christian ethic. So you know, you, you, could, you could watch a movie made in those old days, and you had good guys and bad guys. You had somebody with a white hat on. <laughs> now, instead of good guys and bad guys, we have bad guys and worse guys. And so we're cheering for the bad guy, because he isn't as bad as the worst guy, you know. And, uh, and you remember that there was a time when uh, they, they would never have a curse word in a movie. And you remember what the first one was, don't you? And that, I think that was in 1948 when it was gone with the wind made, I think, at that time. That was the first, that was the, 39. You remember that? Okay. And, that, and that, that, that was the first time even a curse word was allowed. I think it was in the old Dick Van Dyke show that if they showed a bedroom of a couple, they had to have twin beds. So, it, so that's the way they showed it. Think of how it's degenerated because there's the liberty to do it. There are no laws against it. As a matter of fact, we go back to our laws of liberty and say, the law protects me for being as, as, as pagan as I want to be, right? Our laws of liberty give me the liberty to be as bad as I want to be. And so we protect the bad guy as much as we can. So what happened to manners went out the window basically with christianity and that is a real problem in our country so we have to have the law on the one hand we have to have a boundary and and in a country uh, i i hope that if the lord tarries america could could readjust and i mean be able to establish laws for people who don't who don't have any christian morals and who need more laws And yet, not so much that it encroaches upon our Christian liberty and freedom and things that we've had in this country. That doesn't very often happen throughout history. It usually ends in persecution of Christianity, is what it does. And it could be headed that way. Now, on the other hand, is the liberty that I've been talking about, where we have free choice, where we have liberty within the circle. And, you know, in Christianity, we have that, too. Paul, in Romans chapter 14, brought up two two things. When they were out, out from under the law of Moses, now what do you do with the Sabbath day? Well, the Jews who were converted still kind of wanted to, I mean, they couldn't bring themselves to go out and play baseball on Sunday or whatever game they had. And Paul said, fine. If you want to keep that day and not play ball on Sunday, fine. Don't criticize the man who does it. And don't judge the, the person either. And there were dietary laws. And now Paul says, all things are given to us to eat. You can eat pork if you want to eat pork. And I'm glad, you know, you can eat catfish now if you want to eat catfish. But there were some who, who would say, I just can't bring myself to eat that pig. I, you know, we never did. And even though I've become a Christian, I, can't, I just can't do it. And Paul said, then leave them alone. Don't harm their conscience. By flouting or flaunting, I mean your your liberty and understanding of liberty. Uh, then there were the pagans who came out of uh, who came out of idol worship, and they had worshipped idols in every, on every corner of the street and, and all of the things that went on. But the Jews never had a problem with idolatry. So eat meat offered to idols, the Jew would say, "I'll eat it right now." I know an idol is nothing, but the Gentile convert would say. I just can't eat that piece of meat. That that used to be sacred and offered to my idol, and I just can't. So Paul said, "Then leave them alone. Don't offend them by you doing that in front of me. In other words, Paul often appealed, and the New Testament often does, to these areas of liberty that we have as believers. So, you know, even. Uh, what examples could we use? You you can be a liar. Christians often lie. Now, our government says you can't lie on a contract. You can't lie in court. I mean, there are places where you can't. But outside of those, nobody's going to put you in jail for lying. And in the church, we're not, we're not going to check at the door everything that you've done this week, everything that you've said, everywhere your eyes have looked, everything that's come out of your lips, and so forth, are we? There's certain areas where we're going to have to trust one another. Now, when those harm and begin to offend within the church, then Paul has a prescribed action. But uh, even in the church, we, we, we're we trying to be careful. And right now, we're at this age where the church is mirroring the society to where we used to have more, quote, rules in church, you know, and we used to keep them. And uh, uh, matter of fact, there was a day where, you know, if kids were misbehaving, other adults, other than their parents, could have stepped in and said, don't do that. Nowadays, boy, you better not. You might get a lecture from the parent, you know. And yet there there was, you know, expected things, uh, even of kids, talking in church, running in church, uh, you know, whatever, Uh, And nowadays, uh, we kind of let those go. There used to be certain deportment on the platform of a church when you're up here behind this sacred desk, we called it, and preaching God's word, maybe of dress, maybe the music in the church, maybe the language that you use uh, from a pulpit and so forth. And now, uh, you know, now, sometimes we needed, to, we needed to ease up a little bit. I'll give you this. I remember the day, in a circle that I grew up in where I have on a white shirt today that I'm preaching in, that if I had on a blue shirt, it would not be accepted in the pulpit for the pastor to wear a blue shirt and a tie. And probably for all of you guys sitting out there, it wouldn't be acceptable if you don't have a tie on today. So most of you are unacceptable but you know what? I'm glad. I, I'm glad we don't have any such rule. I, I mean, there's some things that got to be a little too ridiculous, and that happens where, you, you know, maybe the world is falling apart, and we're trying to hold it together, and so we're making sure we don't do this, and we don't do this, and don't do that, and sometimes we can go overboard. But when the day comes, that we're all sitting around here uh, in our shorts and T-shirts and no shoes on and, uh, you know, and chewing tobacco, then something's going to change in this church. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You, you, you know, you don't want to have too many of those uh, petty things, but you better, better keep it otherwise. Just a little byword here. I mean, um, you know, I've, it's always been kind of my... Uh, preference then in, in churches of our age that when I'm up here preaching on Sunday, I'll always have a coat and tie on. And I ask the other guys who are up here to do the same. Isn't it, isn't it good to see John and Tim, two young men, and they walk up here because they spend just a minute or two on this platform. They'll have a coat and tie on today. And we ask the ladies when they're up here just to wear a skirt when they're going to sing or, or do something like that otherwise you don't have to and they don't have to wear a tie every service and I don't wear a tie on Wednesday night I don't know if you come on Wednesday night so I don't but uh what I have found is that if I kind of hold a certain level of deportment here then we we'll all be fine I kind of like it that we have that we have the liberty in our congregation here to come in with no tie-on or a tie-on, with dress-on or slacks-on. I mean, you know, we, we don't... That doesn't matter, sitting in our congregation. I'm glad for that. Uh, and so sometimes you'll come like this and sometimes a, a different way, and that's fine. Uh, so I have found that if I kind of just kind of set a level of deportment from up here, then everything else kind of uh, filters out a good way. But if I got real sloppy... And if I got real uh, too relaxed and rest, I, I think we would create an atmosphere where worship is more difficult than it is, and we don't want that. Serve God with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire, the book of Hebrews tells us. Okay, now in that middle manner or, or middle area then, we have this area of, of conscience, of manners, and we have to we have to constantly keep at it. My my uh, uh, pastor I, I grew up under used to say the wilderness encroaches. You know what he meant by that? The wilderness encroaches. Do you have a yard that has bushes around it, or maybe you live out in the country and you have a field? And if you don't cut that back, what happens? the wilderness begins to encroach on you. Think weeds grow, and overgrowth grows. And if you don't keep cutting that back, the wilderness encroaches. And pretty soon, it's right up to your back door. And you know that from even mowing your grass, you know. So in the area of manners, and in the area of morals, and the area of responsibilities, the wilderness, this world is a wilderness, and the, and the world will encroach upon us if we don't cut it back. And if we don't say, we, we need to keep uh, uh, putting that back in its place. And we, we want to do that, folks, with self-liberty. We want to do it because it's a good thing to do, not because there's a rule about doing it, and not because it's so late we've let it all fall apart and now we're trying to rebuild it. We just want to have that kind of deportment among us to where we do the right thing because we're believers, because we have a conscience, and then we don't have to have very many rules about it, and we don't see us going over the deep end very often. You know, uh, uh, back in the first part of the 20th century, two important books were written, and you remember the titles. One's called Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, and in the 1930s it was written. And a second one, uh, 1984, by George Orwell in the 40s. Huxley in this brave new world basically was predicting that America would fall apart from within. That we would become so ungodly that, that we would devolve into this world he called the brave new world. It's a strange book to read. But a little after that, decade after that, then Orwell writes 1984, way in the future, you know, 1984, way up in the future. <laughs> and he predicted, no, America will be taken over from without. We will let down our defenses, and Big Brother will come in and take us over, and then we will have a totalitarian government like communism or Nazism or something over us. Isn't that interesting? Back in the 30s, Huxley was predicting one, and, and in the 40s, uh, Orwell was predicting the other. What do you think is going to win? What do you think is going to happen? I like reading a guy called Neil Postman, and, and Neil Postman's still alive today, and, and he writes about these kinds of things. And uh, he wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he said... Uh, I think Huxley is going to be right. We're not going to be taken over from without, but we are just going to let it all go from within. We're not going to care, and we will disintegrate from within. You know, I remember one uh, illustration that Postman used in his book about Sesame Street, and he called the churches, and this would have been like, I think he was writing this book in the uh, 80s, if I remember right, and And he said, our churches have become Sesame Street churches. You know what he meant by that? Entertain me and I will learn. He said, what has happened in our educational system, in our schools and the rest, through, and, and he used Sesame Street as an early but perfect example. What we are saying to kids is, if we make it fun enough, then you'll learn, won't you? And if it's not fun, I don't, I'm not learning. And he said, we've adopted that in our churches. Isn't that interesting? And boy, he was right, wasn't he, in the last 30 or 40 years. If we make it fun, then people will say, I like that church. I'll stay in that church. I'll learn something in that church. But there's no New Testament uh, Teaching that way that way at all, he also, by the way, his other thing was I'm rambling now, but his other thing was that um, about com- that one of the things that has ruined America is commercials and advertisings because it used to be a hundred years ago you didn't have advertising, you didn't have commercials. If you had a store, you put your sign above it, and that was about it. That's all the advertising you had. but nowadays we are persuaded constantly and bombarded constantly by things we don't need, by people we don't know, <laughs> with money we don't have, you know, and, and we listen to it and decide, I'm gonna go do that or I'm gonna buy that. And, and, you know, a car commercial today has nothing to do with the car. Did you ever know a car commercial? Uh, they don't talk to you about whether it's a good car or a bad car. You know, uh, they just say, this is the car you ought to be seen in. You know, if, if this is your image, this is the car you ought to buy. That's, and, and so commercialism has changed our whole way of thinking uh, in America. Think of how churches then commercialize and advertise. And, and think of the way the average church presents itself to the community as, an, as a commercial to come here. So, so uh, I could go, I, I had a lot of other ones here too, but we're about out of time. So, let's, as, as Faith Baptist Church in, in the new year, let's be people of self-government. Let, let's do the real American ethic, and the real New Testament ethic, and let's govern ourselves by things that we ought to do, even going the extra mile. Even being more polite, more ladylike, gentlemanlike, having better manners. And then we don't need rules, and we won't find ourselves falling into disrepair either. And when young people come in, folks, and I'm speaking to, to the older people in the church, they don't always know. And we don't outlaw somebody at the door, you know, uh, if they come in away, a you know indecency is indecency, and we may have to speak to that from time to time. But, you know, what, what the best thing I have found is that when young people come in and don't quite know how to behave in a church, and kids don't quite know how to behave, if they're around us long enough, they're either going to leave <laughs> because they're uncomfortable, or they're going to stay and become like us, kind of in a natural evolution. And so, Let's let that happen by being what we should be always in, in our church, okay? So, boy, uh, I don't know if I got to my outline much here, but I think maybe you got the point of what manners means to us individually, as to a church, even to a country. Uh, they're, they're very important, and we need to pay attention to them. So let's try to do the best we can. Let's end in prayer, okay? Now, Father, uh, thank you for the New Testament, Thank you for the description of the church that we have here. Thank you for your Bible that has been given to your people throughout the ages. And, Father, we, we want to understand it and know it. We want to live both within its parameters and not cross over those, and we want to live in its details and know how to conduct our lives. Thank you for a free country. Thank you for the freedom we have in America to do what we're doing right now. And thank you for freedom that we have in the local New Testament church. Uh, to, to be here and be comfortable and to enjoy what we're doing. Help us, Father, to have this wisdom to know how to maintain that Christian liberty that you've given us and to use it wisely and to use it for your honor and glory. Well, thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for being here today.